I am sitting in the chair that the Nick King sits in. Internet sensation, YouTube celebrity, Nick King. I'm a little bit starstruck right now, Nathan. He's something special. All right, that's good. <laughs> well, hello everybody, this is Chris Burchell here. I lead uh, worship here at Wales Baptist Church. Just wanna share a little bit of encouragement with you today. Actually, um, wanna go a little bit deeper than um, just an encouragement. Actually want to uh, share a message for everyone. Um, I'm gonna share the gospel today and I do believe that the gospel is not just for unsaved people. I think it's a, it's a great reminder for those who have been saved to know what they've been saved from and uh, not take it for granted, not think that it's anything within themselves that, that this is the reason that something has happened to them, the reason they've been saved. So before we get started, I'm going to pray, and uh, then we'll look at some scripture, and um, hopefully... Um, Hopefully somebody out there that, that uh, is not saved will have their eyes open to this message. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for another day of life. Father, I'm thankful that you use somebody like me who is um, a sinner, Lord, who is uh, not capable of delivering a message like this outside of your help and your word. Father, I pray um, that we stay faithful to your word as we, we look at it. Lord, as, as we proclaim your gospel, your good news, Lord, it wouldn't be anything in myself to try to whip up some kind of emotion in somebody, Lord, that your words would speak because we know that they are powerful. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord, and I just continue to pray for those who are on the front lines of this sickness. Lord, those family members who have been affected by it. Lord, those who have the sickness. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the gospel is the most important message one could ever hear. When this message is shared, staying faithful to the scriptures, it is, as Romans 1.16 explains, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. When the message is distorted, it brings death to the hearers and the most extreme curse to the one who proclaims the false gospel. Galatians 1.8 says that person shall be accursed. In the Greek, that word is anathema, which means completely separated from God. The message, the gospel, or the good news of Christ demands honesty. We must share the entire truth of the gospel, not just the easy bearable parts. We have a clear command from Jesus in Mark 16 to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And Jesus goes on to say, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So no one who has an understanding after hearing the gospel is left the same. John MacArthur explains it like this, exposure to the gospel makes sinners better or it makes them worse. 
2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, and the other a fragrance from life to life. In other words, preaching the gospel compounds life, and compounds death. No one is left the same. Too often we start with the cross when presenting the gospel, but it's important to understand why it's at the very center of the good news. We need to understand why sin is such a big deal and what it is altogether. We need the bad news to understand the good news. We'll start at the question, who is God? Genesis 1.1 says God created the heavens and the earth and then he begins to speak things into existence. There was nothing and then six days, six days later there was all of creation. God is the creator. God is omnipresent which means he is always everywhere. Psalm 139 says where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. It's, impor it's important to understand that for God to be in a place is not the same way we are in a place. He's not physical matter like us. God is omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. Isaiah 46 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. A.W. Tozer says, God perfectly knows himself and being the source and author of all things, it follows that he knows all that can be known. God is omnipotent. Omni means all. Potent means powerful. He is all powerful. Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Job 11 can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes through and imprisons and summons the court, who can turn him back? For he knows worthless men. When he sees iniquity, will he not consider it? He has unlimited power and is able to do anything he wills without any effort on his part. God is infinite. He is self-existing without any origin. Colossians 1 says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He wasn't made by anything or anyone, and He has always existed and will always exist. God is immutable, which means He never changes, ever. Malachi 3, God plainly says, For I, the Lord, do not change. God is sovereign, which means He is completely in control of everything and does as He wills. 
Like R.C. Sproul says, there are no rogue molecules. There's nothing out of his control. This is a hard one for people to accept, but the Bible backs it up over and over again. First Chronicles 29 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honors come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Psalm 115, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Daniel 4, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. God is holy. The angels cry out in Revelation 4, holy, holy, holy. Saying it three times shows intensity. Holy, holier, holiest. He is infinitely perfect. And God is good. Psalm 34, O taste and see, the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He is infinitely full of goodwill and kindness. And here lies the problem. Man is not good. So who is man? Psalm 14 says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable, abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Though man was created good in the beginning, we all inherited sin when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden. Sin literally means missing the mark, but the biblical meaning is a little bit deeper than that. It's not like Adam and Eve missed God's bullseye by a few inches. No, they were shooting completely in the opposite direction. Romans 5 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It is inherited. So sin is not such a big deal until you realize who you have sinned against. The one you have sinned against is the one who created you for his purpose. And oh, by the way, he's all-powerful, self-existing, all-knowing, good and holy, and cannot change and is in complete control of everything. When you realize this, sin is a real big deal. One of the phrases used by theologians to describe the depth of man's moral corruption is total depravity. It basically means that the original state or form of something has been twisted or perverted. Genesis 1 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That image of God in man has been seriously twisted in our bodies, our reason, our emotions, and our will. Isaiah 64 says, And all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. Everything men do is contaminated by our moral corruption, and this corruption and sin ruins even the best we could possibly do. All of our good acts are ignited from our love of self, but not a love of God. 
And all men are capable of the greatest evil and most heinous crimes. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. The greatest problem of all is man cannot free himself from his sinful, depraved condition, and he is spiritually dead, morally corrupt, and cannot change himself. God is the judge over all the earth, and it's his place to see that justice is done and evil is punished. It would not be appropriate for the judge overall to pardon the wicked any more than an earthly judge to pardon a criminal who stands before him in a court of law. The justice of God demands to be satisfied, and he can't sinfully pardon or he would be corrupt. And he can't be sinful or corrupt because he can't be inconsistent with his character, which is perfect and holy. This is the Bible's sobering verdict on us. There is not one of us righteous, not even one, and because of that, one day every mouth will be silenced and the whole world will be held accountable to God. We have rejected God Himself, His authority, and His right to command over those whom He gave life. We have sinned against Him, and we must pay for that. But, the word but, B-U-T, one of the most powerful words a human can speak. It's only three letters, but it has the power to sweep away everything that has gone before it. Coming after the bad news we've just heard, it has the ability to restore hope and change absolutely everything. You are a sinner destined to be condemned, but God has acted to save sinners just like you. You see, right after man's fall in the garden, Adam and Eve God gave Adam and Eve a small glimpse of good news in their despair. Genesis 3.15 says, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The rest of the Bible tells a story how this tiny seed of good news sprouted and grew. For thousands of years, God prepared the world through law and words he spoke through the prophets that built up to the ultimate defeat of Satan in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was no ordinary man. The Bible teaches of how he is completely human and completely God. If Jesus was an ordinary man like us, he couldn't save us from a, uh, God's eternal punishment any more than any dead man could save another man. But because he is the Son of God without sin and equally divine as God, he is able to defeat death and save us from eternal punishment. It's just as important to understand that Jesus was fully human so that he can rightly represent us before the Father. He was tempted in every way that we were, yet without sin, and is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. The cross of Christ wasn't accident either. It was no accident. Understand this, there was no other way to be found righteous in the eyes of God apart from Jesus' payment for our sins. Jesus' Jesus's ministry starts on earth and he proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. People came from all over to hear Jesus' good news. They knew, they knew from the centuries of God's message through the prophets that he would put an end to evil and rescue his people from their sins. Luke 1 says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Here's where the good news of Christianity gets really good. Jesus didn't come to it just to ignite the kingdom of God on earth, but also to bring sinners into that kingdom by dying in their place, taking their punishment himself, and securing forgiveness for them, making them righteous in God's eyes. And as Colossians 1.12 says, qualifies them to share an inheritance of that kingdom. Wow. Jesus went to the cross and died the death that we deserve to satisfy the payment we owe for our sins. In Matthew 27, 46, Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, his Father, who is holy and righteous, whose eyes are too pure to even look upon evil, looked at his son, saw the sin of his son's people, resting on his shoulders, turned away and poured out his wrath on his only son. Matthew says there was three hours of darkness while Jesus hung on the cross. This was the darkness of judgment as the wrath of the father fell on his only son for the sins of his people. Isaiah 53 tells of this event. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And, his, and with his wounds, we are healed. If Jesus would remain dead, would have remained dead like any other God slash Savior, his death wouldn't have counted any more, than, any more than ours would have. But he rose on the third day, conquering sin and death for his people. This raises the last question. Who are Jesus' people? They are the people who respond to the good news by faith and repentance. Faith is not believing in something you can't prove, as many claim it to be. It's reliance. Greg Gilbert explains it like this. Faith is a rock-solid, grounded truth, promise-founded trust in the risen Jesus to save you from your sin. Jesus' people won't ask God to look at their lives to be counted as righteous, but rather Jesus' record in, in the place of ours. The prophet Zechariah gives us an image of this in chapter 3. He says, Then the Lord showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen it, uh, Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the, the angel clothed in filthy, filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy, filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. All that belonged to Joshua was his filthy garments. And this was what Satan was about to point to. 
But Joshua was given clean clothes and a clean turban. He was made righteous and clean before God, but with garments that didn't belong to him. They weren't Joshua's garments. They were given to him. This is a picture of how the work of Jesus has done. This is a picture of how the work that Jesus has done is given to all who believe. This life, this life of true faith in Christ is accompanied by a life of repentance. Repentance is not an optional thing to the Christian life. It's absolutely crucial in what marks those who have been saved by God or marks those who have not been saved. Many Christians struggle with the idea of repentance, thinking that if they repent of their sin, it'll all just magically go away and they'll never deal with it again. But the Bible is clear that we still have sin in our lives. We're still wrapped in this flesh, even though our heart has been changed, even though that we're converted, but the difference is whether or not we have made war against our sin or whether or not we've made peace with it. It's your heart's attitude against sin more than a change of behavior. When a person genu genuinely represent, uh, repents and believes in Christ, the Bible says they are given a new spiritual life. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in the tres trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. When this happens, our life changes. Not immediately, not quickly, sometimes not even steadily, but it does change. Through this change, you will see fruit in your life. A Christian will see fruit in their life. When this happens, don't think that it's anything that you have done. This is all because of Christ. It would be real easy to look at that and say, I did something. But that's not salvation at all. It's only Christ doing something through you. I pray that this message has uh, touched someone, has opened someone's eyes to the gospel. The Bible says that they can only believe if they hear the word preached. So I pray that, that this message doesn't go out void. I pray uh, that through this situation with the virus that, that those who are affected by it, those who are freaking out watching TV. I pray that you could see that, that something's wrong in this world, that you can see the evil. Something is very wrong. And I pray that your hope is not in this world. The Bible tells us this is all temporary. And if you haven't placed your hope in heaven and in God and Jesus, I pray that today is the day that you change all that. I want to leave you with uh, 
with a, a small paragraph out of a book that I recently read. And uh, it's very, it's very eye-opening to the Christian and to the non-believer. It says, where will you point? When you stand before God at the judgment, I wonder what you plan to do or say in order to convince Him to count you righteous and admit you to all the blessings of His kingdom. What good deed or godly attitude will you pull out of your pocket to impress Him? Will you pull out your church attendance, your family life, your spotless thought life, the fact that you haven't done anything really heinous in your own eyes? I wonder what you'll hold up before Him while saying, God, on account of this, justify me. I'll tell you what every Christian whose faith is in Christ alone will do by God's grace. They will simply and quietly point to Jesus. And this will be their plea. O oh God, do not look for any righteousness in my own life. Look at your son. Count me righteous, not because of anything I've done or anything I am, but because of him. He lived the life I should have lived. He died the death that I deserve. I have renounced all other trust and my plea is in him alone. Justify me, O oh God, because of Jesus. If you've heard this message today and you want to talk to somebody, you want to know more, if you want to give your life to Christ, you want to believe and you want to repent of your sins, you need someone to talk to, reach out, reach out through Facebook, reach out through the church. Um, there's several that have, have given their phone numbers out. I'll give mine out. It's 931-309-7061. Call me. I pray that today your eyes would be open. Thank you all.